Blog Talk Radio. Modern technology. We are actually coming to you uh, from various undisclosed locations. I'm your host, Nate Larkin. Here, I want to. I want to know where you're at, Nate. Don't give us undisclosed. Where Where are you right now? What are you wearing? How do you I, look? I, I'm in a bunker <laughs> beneath Camp David. Uh, just no. Actually, I, I'm in my. Uh, I'm in. I'm at the desk in my bedroom, looking out ah. at uh, at a beautiful blue winter sky. And uh, Mondo, our fearless, peerless engineer, where are you, my friend? Uh, I'm at home uh, on my couch looking at uh, the, the TV that's not on, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but looking outside, a beautiful blue sky as well. Yeah, oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. And uh, Aaron, our co-host from the West uh, Coast, how about you, brother? I choose not to answer the question. It's turned turn freaky to me. I, I don't really want to know about <laughs> you guys in your living rooms and houses, so uh, I choose to decline. Okay, all right. All right. And uh, you me out. How long is the deputy going to allow you to use the telephone? <laughs> well, uh, luckily I got sent some credits from some loving people, uh, so it's it's good. You know? Okay, good. Of course, good. I'm I'm in the I'm in the hall uh, right now on the payphone. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is great. We got a we got a good show lined up. A, a terrific uh, guest. I'm sure we're going to have a, a fascinating talk later uh, in this hour with uh, Bill Devoe, and uh, maybe even with you. Those of you who are listening, you can reach us on the uh, call in radio line here at three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine. And we have a contest. Regarding this phone number, yes, yes, we, do. Yes. yes we do. Go who's, ahead. Who's going to remember three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine? That's too much. So we need some smart people, probably some Type A people with just a little creativity, to figure out what that spells on the phone. Yes. All right. Okay. Um, That's ideas. And and certainly we will have a valuable prize for the person who sends us the best suggestion. Yes. All right. Well, uh, Aaron, how has the week gone, my brother? Oh, this uh, I I lost a friend this week that's been struggling with cancer for five and a half years. So feeling all the feelings that go along with that while still being the pastor in the middle of that. So. It's uh yeah, it's one of those weeks. Oh man. One of those weeks. But we're gonna talk more about that at the mini meeting. Okay. Terrific. Mondo, my brother, what's up? Oh man, I I'm uh I'm pretty good, man. I don't know if I mentioned to you, but um I'm on a fast right now. Uh, I'm doing a thirty day fast. No and 
Yes. Uh, today today marks day six, uh, 16 today, day 16. Today. And uh yeah man it's it's been it's been life changing you know uh, I I'm ashamed to say but I don't fast as much as I should mm-hmm. um but uh this is this has been remarkable in a lot of ways spiritually number one yeah but then also too I've lost a tremendous amount of weight oh. um yeah I'm down 23 pounds in 2 weeks holy smokes and uh so you know so of course, you know I'm loving it because it was spiritually, uh, and my wife is loving the physical side. Because <laughs> so, I had a had a little bit of a gut issue. Those who don't know what I look like had a little bit of a, a gut, so uh, my gut is diminishing, which is nice. I'm getting back to my my, my ball weight, which is nice. So yeah, yeah. Now so, are you taking so are you taking nourishment of any kind in any form? What are you doing? <clears throat> Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a lot of you know supplements, uh, of probiotics and vitamin Ds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of liquid. Uh, when I do have something, it's just uh, juices from vegetables. So like you know, I, I'll juice something and have a small serving of juice and that's it, and then water. So so you're um, so you're not doing what the monks did on their one fasting day a week when they would just drink that triple brewed beer. That no, was like. Fifteen percent alcohol and slice <laughs> down your throat like a mudslide. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that, man. I'm I'm, I'm uh, detoxing my body uh, of a lot of things, and you know, I'll tell you, man, the first the first six days were rough. You know, uh, mm. rough. You're, you're fighting that flesh for sure, and uh, everything smells good. I mean, gasoline smells tasty. You know, everything. You know, it's just <laughs> you, you know, everything is just, it smells so good, and you want to eat, and then. You know, I'm at home, wife's cooking for the kids, and it's just you're sitting here like, get your little water, and just, there you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but uh, it's about been great, time, man. I, it's that's, that's, very rewarding. about the time you get angry with the English language and start fixating on, why is this called a fast? It's going so slow. slow. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that word. I hate everything. Exactly, man. Exactly. So. So I'm good, man. So, so as, as as brothers, man, you know, keep me in your prayers for sure. I've, I've got another, uh, basically a half time right now. You know, yesterday was was uh, was day 15, so uh, on a on a back half now. So, yeah, man. Well, wow, you guys know I changed my diet uh, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago after getting some horrific news from the doctor about uh, my arterial health. Went largely plant based. Uh, only got off that wagon a couple times by necessity when I was traveling, and it isn't always possible to find a plant-based meal uh, in some of the places yeah. where I where I go to speak. But uh, uh, yesterday, I had an appointment early in the morning to go get blood work done to see how the change in diet has uh, affected my cholesterol level and other uh, levels in my blood. Uh, Allie came along. I had to fast in the morning, you know, and then go uh, get the blood drawn. And then, by gosh, we went and celebrated. So I, I blew everything out yesterday. With uh... <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Man, I was, I was just yesterday explaining to a vegan what it's like eating in Franklin, Tennessee. I explained those deep-fried uh, hard-boiled eggs. You guys have bought me deep-fried <laughs> mushrooms, deep-fried. It's like, whatever. Deep-fried, what, what's sitting around? Yeah. That chair, deep fry the chair. Let's try that. Why not? <laughs> well, Frank 
Portland, Tennessee. Deep fry it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I right. know what a Larkin blowout looks like. Yeah. That's, that's good deep fried fun. It was deep fried, my friend. Uh, black and tan, uh, deep fried uh, onion rings yesterday at uh, McNamara's Irish Pub. It was uh, a new pub that Allie and I found last week. It's really amazing. Terrific. Out, uh, I don't know where it is, out in Donaldson, I guess. Yep, followed by steak and biscuits. And then a little while later uh, at uh, Sorley's Irish Pub. Uh, a uh, a burger man that was just awesome. <laughs> All right, but I'm back on the veggies today. All right, yeah, yeah. back on the veggies. Well, well, what do you say we uh, close out this section of the show and come back in a few minutes with a mini meeting? All right, here we go. <laughs> We rifle and look, bring up me, hide your hole. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hole, bring up me, hide your hole. Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate type for me. Well, fellas, um, welcome to this mini meeting of the Samson Society. This gives our listeners, those of you who uh, perhaps are disqualified from attending a Samson meeting because you're female, or those who don't have a meeting close to you, if you've never had a chance to attend one, this gives you a taste of what happens at the guts of the meeting, uh, where we strive to be completely honest and hold whatever is shared in strictest confidence. Confidence. Yeah, so uh, we're compromising confidentiality by broadcasting this mini-meeting, but we'll at least do some sharing. Uh, so, uh, welcome to this mini-meeting of the Samson Society. We're a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. And natural strong men who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing, honestly, out of our own personal experience, the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. Uh, we've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting uh, and uh, I'm going to suggest as the topic for today, uh, grief. Although you're not confined to that subject, uh, if necessary, you can speak about anything that's currently commanding your attention. Uh, the floor is now open. This is where I'm expected to go first, huh? Yeah, I think so, since it's kind of, it sounds like it's a top plate for you. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Uh, I had to give a call to a Samson brother yesterday, as uh, I think people grieve very differently, and I am an action-oriented person. So, getting in touch with what I'm actually feeling in a lot of situations is not not easy. Because mm. yeah. in the middle of a crisis, usually I'm the one that's called on to be the person who's not being emotional while mm. other people are having lots of emotion. 
so then when I realize, no, this is actually my turn to have emotions, uh, I find myself way out of practice. And I'm sure other people feel that way for different reasons than vocation. Mine just happens to be a vocational out of practice. So I, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of answers right now in my own head. I got good counsel from my my brother who said, just do what you got to do this week to help everybody out in preparing for the uh, memorial service and and then take some time to just be alone with those feelings, maybe write some stuff down mm. and see what comes up. I think one of the hard things for me is I sometimes feel uh, I judge myself harshly for not having not feeling deep emotions about stuff. Like mm. I'm supposed to feel something. I know what the, the protocol of emotion is for a situation. And I just am not going as far into that. So, I mean, I remember that even with my kids being born and all those movies that say you're supposed to just love them the second you hold them. And I just met them and I didn't have those feelings. And it took me a little while to have those feelings. Mm. But I've always, I've always been a pretty harsh judge of my own emotions, and I think when it comes to grieving, that's uh, that's a, a big one that I just don't don't fully know how to process. I, in a lot of ways, just rather be busy and be helpful. But at some point, I know I have to go there, whatever that means. Yeah, that's all I've got. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, well, shoot, Mondo. Okay. Um, this is, this may sound strange, uh, to most, but, uh, maybe not. I don't know. Um, there, there's been a conversation going on in my family, uh, with my wife and I, uh, my parents and, uh, her parents were, our folks are preparing for the day they leave so they are having that, those tough conversations with us about what they're leaving, how they're leaving it, who is going to be responsible for what. Uh, when I pass, I would like you to do this, that, and the other. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's very interesting, man, uh, because you start to have a grieving process while they're still living. mm uh it's it's really confusing honestly um you know because you know no one wants to really think about their you know you know sit there and have a conversation with your mom or your dad about hey yeah at your memorial service we're going to do this you know like who really wants to have that conversation yeah. uh, and <clears throat> it's it's pretty tough man you know um i've been you know i'm a little maybe a little strange i've been prepping myself for probably the last 10 years you know just when that day comes, how will I react? What will I do? You know, what kind of playing it out in my head, you know, I'm quite sure that I'll be the rock of the family, you know, kind of how uh, the role that Aaron's playing in his situation now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I'm kind of, you know, prepping my mind and my emotions uh, for that process. Um, my wife, on the other hand, in, on her side, is something that she doesn't want to even think about. Uh, so the conversations are very challenging. Um she does address it. She has been a big girl about it, but it's just it's still not easy, you know. Yeah. Um, 
and I can't process it for as much as I would like to. Uh, I can't. And uh, so it's, 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 it's very interesting to almost grieve in the presence of the people you're grieving over. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. It, it's, wow. it's very, it's very interesting. Um, so, uh, the, the, the topic really hit me in the gut because that's something that we've been talking about the last uh, probably 30 to 45 days and, and uh, just getting those things together. And I met with a friend um, who is interested in being a pirate monk as well. He's going through a situation right now where both of his parents are on their deathbeds at the same time. Mm. and uh, Two different situations. One's been uh, sick for a long time. And I'm sitting with him watching him try to carry all this and watching how he's grieving. So, of course, I can't help but put myself in issues. And I'm trying to say, man, what, what, what would I do? How would I feel? And, you know, I realize that it's much heavier than even what I'm trying to prepare for. Yeah. You, you know, and so it's very – uh, it, it definitely takes you to a, a a darker place in your soul that you really don't want to – address or pay attention to, but the bottom line is we all have to at some point. Yeah. So that's all I got. Thanks, Mondo. Well, I'm Nate. Um, Yeah, my most immediate connection with the topic, I think, is uh, actually not personal. Uh, Allie yesterday woke up with uh, some anger, uh, and below the anger she found sadness, grief. Uh, something that surfaces very rarely these days. Uh, I've been in recovery now for 14 years, and Allie and I have experienced a ton of healing. Uh, but there is still unresolved uh, grief, and I think anger as well, although mostly grief, uh, You know, sadness over uh, what we lost during those years. And actually... Uh, what I took from Allie with my infidelity and with my emotional distance and with all of that. Um, So, uh, you know, and Allie doesn't like grief, and I don't like grief either. One of the things that connected us when we first met was that we have um, a common history. Both of us lost uh, a mother early on, around the age of 10. Uh, With Allie, it was an adoptive mother. She'd already lost a mother very early on, and so uh, her grief, I think, ran even deeper than mine. Uh, But neither one of us was helped through that childhood grief. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, uh, when my mom died, uh, we did go to the funeral, uh, but, you know, as Christians, it was kind of our obligation, uh, you know, to uh, rejoice with the fact that she was in heaven, and then move on. Uh, We didn't talk about her, really, after she was gone. And quickly, all the pictures were taken down from the walls, and her clothes were cleaned out of the closet. And um, I didn't get the message that uh, grief was good. I certainly wasn't told that grief was an essential part of healing. And I do think that my deep grief, uh, ungrieved uh, loss, helped to drive my irrational behavior for all those years. And uh, even though the behavior's been brought back into line, I know that I still have grief work uh, that I haven't done. And the reason I know is because I um, 
I still don't cry. I come very close, come to the verge of tears. Oddly enough, I find myself getting uh, most emotional uh, when I'm on a stage in front of other people. Uh, that's not put on. That's real. I don't know why it feels safer there uh, than at other times. Uh, uh, but probably the next step in my journey is to seek some help in uh, doing the grief work that's ahead of me. That's me. Thanks, Nate. Well, we will be right back. and uh, We will hopefully have time to do one quick letter before we bring our guest on. So we'll be right back on the Pirate Whoa! Life is a wonderful life for roving over the sea. Give me a career as a buck, and there is the life of a pirate for me. But you're not going to be able to hear it. Unless you can listen on the computer or. We're back. We're back in the Pirate Monk Radio. Hey, by the way, I should make this announcement now for those of you who uh, want this show to be portable and you can't sit by a computer. We're now on Stitcher. Our uh, fine executive producer, Jay Spiegel, has done all the footwork this week to get us on Stitcher Radio. Uh, So uh, you can find us there. Just download uh, the Android app or the iOS app, the uh, Apple app from the uh, iTunes store, and you can stream this show uh, on the run, live or any of the archived episodes. Stitcher. Uh, we're 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 live and on the air. That's cool. Also, remember during our interview that's coming up, we really would love to hear some questions and comments from you. So uh, get your phone handy and write down the number three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine. That's three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine, and call in Steve Lehman. If you're listening live today, I'll expect good, insightful question from you. Or or hit us with a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at Pirate Monk Radio. Are you, are you taking sweets live? Uh, Jay, uh, Jay is. He is yes. uh, oh, yeah. He's mad. Love he is. it. Okay. Well, Nate, we got a, uh, a letter here, so you want to read it? No, no, no. I don't have it in front of me. I, uh, right. Why don't you read it? All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. Hey guys, I've got a question for you that's uh, coming from a different angle than most. Found my freedom from a 20 plus year sexual addiction through Christ and the support of a community similar to the Samson Society. It's been an amazing journey to say the least. In the past few years, I've had the honor of leading a few recovery groups which are based on the same format as the Samson group. The question I have is how do you handle the emotional toll on your own lives that comes with loving on these guys? I experienced the usual deadening of my emotions while still in my addiction, so empathy is both new and exciting for me. But as a guy who's emotionally invested in others, it can be hard to get used to. Just this week, a close friend of mine and his wife had to separate because of his addiction, and I've been on the verge of tears for a few days. Because I have so much love for these men, when they hurt, I hurt. I often feel as if I'm living my life with a lump in my throat. It's not that I'm emotionally unstable. It's more like I'm emotionally alive for the first time. It's more of a tenderness, I guess. So how do I do this? I know God's called me to this ministry, and he'll give me the strength I need, which I guess just answered my own question, but how do you handle this practically as a pastor? 
Wow. What a great letter. What would you tell him, Aaron? You got uh, you got thoughts? Well, my first thought when I read this is is to let people know that if a we step into pastoring one another, ministering to one another through these seasons of life, and God has built us differently. So some people carry others' emotions uh, deeply. And I don't think they should try to cut that off, but I think they have to guard their heart. And others, it's far more natural. Like, I can usually walk away from situations. So if I was to answer his question in the way that I deal with it, uh, I've kind of been built to deal with a lot of people's crisis and still be able to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. That's just the way God built me. So I don't think he should be like me because God built him specifically the way he is. Yeah. So I think the, the first thing that I'd want anybody wrestling with this to, uh, to think about is not how do I figure out how to be like that pastor or that person, but who did God make me to be in serving others through these times? Yeah, yeah. Now, practically, go. Give some practical on top of that, Nate. There's no well, yeah, well, yeah, I love this letter because uh, I've had the same experience. Um, you know, during my I, during my years in professional ministry as a pastor, as a young man, a church planter, I was um, spectacularly unprepared and unequipped uh, emotionally, really, to provide pastoral care. I was so self-focused, so focused on uh, pleasing people, on performing, on impressing people, uh, that I was really only watching other people for cues as to uh, how I should behave. And uh, I was so out of touch with my own emotions, medicating them so heavily with compulsive sexual activity, uh, that I was that that I was not really. Uh, Deeply empathetic. Uh, my capacity for empathy is growing, and I think that's—I mean—that's such a wonderful gift. But you know, there's this saying in twelve-step recovery. You know, the good news is uh, you're going to feel your emotions. Uh, the bad news is uh, you're going to feel your emotions. It's uh, you know, coming alive this way adds dimensions. Uh, that can be confusing to those of us who spent a lifetime living from the neck up. Um, I am grateful for uh, other men in recovery who've done what you just described, Aaron, uh, carried my emotions for me. It's one of the things that I see uh, Chip Dodd do, and I think it's key to his remarkable success uh, in uh, the treatment program that he runs for professionals. Uh, I've watched Chip feel for another man as the other man tells his story. Uh, a man who uh, is so disconnected emotionally from his own story that um, that he that that he's unable to experience um, happiness, joy, or especially the darker emotions, uh, you know, sadness, anger, uh, to watch Chip do that and feel another man's uh, heart and speak for him emotionally. It's a great gift. Uh, Dave Bunker is another guy who does that uh, tremendously well. 
And I, I find that, well, I'm certainly no master at it. I'm not great at it uh, by any means. I at least have these days a little bit of the tools that are necessary to listen to another person's story, another man's story, and feel my way through it uh, and feel for the guy in real time. And it, and I do find that the pattern holds true. Very often, a guy who comes to me for help because he's trapped in compulsive sexual behavior is so disconnected from his emotions that he really cannot feel uh, the depth uh, of his own pain, of his own, you know, of his own life. Um, what I have to remember is that. Um, you know, is to continue to live in real time after I've prayed with the guy and given him a hug and and sent him on his way. It's time for me now uh, to come back into my own life and to engage in my own circle of intimacies with the people that you know. I, when I need to go home, I need to be home. And uh, you know, that codependent part of me isn't always good at that. Uh, the savior part of me. Who would like to, uh, you know, live not just for myself but uh, for the world? Uh, doesn't always, you know. It's it's easy. I, I've got to tell you that sometimes it's it's tempting for me to invest myself emotionally in somebody else's life so that I don't. Uh, so I'm relieved of the responsibility of facing the emotional reality of my own life. So uh, just, yeah, and I would just close this this letter with the really important thought that you have to keep in front of you the difference between being responsible to your brothers and sisters and being responsible for them. Yeah. That sometimes when we enter into these situations where somebody's in a lot of pain and a lot of crisis making foolish decisions, we we have the end in mind that, okay, this is what needs to happen, but I am not responsible for that to happen. I'm responsible to them. I'm going to love them. But then when I walk away, I know that this is something they're going to have to do. They're going to have to do it with God. And I'm not going to confuse my responsibility into that. And I think that's really key in being able to walk away and, more importantly, to trust God with that other person's journey. Because so many times the emotions stay because I still feel like I can or should be doing something to affect the change in their life instead of doing what I can, loving them well, and surrendering it to God. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think we've solved the problems of that little world for now. So, <laughs> meanwhile, it's on to, uh, on to, <clears throat> on to our guest. Uh, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Pirate Monk. Radio show. Hurt, hurt by the pavement starting over, picking up pieces on our road. Burned, burned by the system we are under Giving up is all we've ever known 
I, 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 uh, I loved the book, by the way, and I, I, I do think, man, you are on to something. There is a thread that runs through every person's life. Uh, there is continuity. It's a story that's being told, and yeah. it's being and it's being told by by God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. In fact, that's the first landmark called story, and that's kind of where we have to enter into the in, into this um, you know into this journey. So. Yeah. So so give me a little picture of the landmarks. Give it to the the people that that need a a quick glimpse of them. Yeah, sure. Um, this is what this is what I call my elevator speech. I got that from a, a, a CEO who talks about you know you got to be able to describe it in thirty seconds. But I, I'll go a little just a little longer in thirty seconds. This is the big overview. Um, uh, life's journey. Everybody knows that, no matter what sort of religious or lack of religious background they have. Um, but very few people have a map for it, and almost nobody has orienteering skills. Mm-hmm. And so. The the book is really an, what I call an inner mapping, as well as sort of some orienteering skills. And then to put it in a in a biblical framework, you know, uh, Jesus basically you know called us out on a journey. He said, "Come follow me," and the following necessitates a journey, and the journey that involves death and resurrection. You know, he says you got to deny yourself to follow me. You got to take your cross. And Paul spoke about this same thing, you know, um, I've been crucified with Christ, and yet I now live, he lives in me. So what, is, what, how, what does all that mean in practical terms? And, and that's really what the, the landmarks are about, how, to, how do we progress in the journey? And so I have four what I call death landmarks, um, sort of entering into death, which are story, um, idols, wounds, and sex. And then I have a turning point landmark, uh, which is sort of a pivot called identity and then that turns us into the resurrection landmarks which are battle bond mate and quest so they're nine in all yeah and if you want to visualize this uh, for those of us who are, uh, for those of you who are listening it, it it it's mapped out kind of like a u and so there is a descent and of course that's what uh, most of us don't like to hear it's what much of popular christianity will try to shield you from uh exactly right exactly it's uh you know uh you're going to get your uh, best life now it's upward and onward from here and jesus used some different language jesus said you know unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it abides alone and uh, all of us have to go through a a death experience and god in his loving providence finds a way to bring us to the end of ourselves. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your death experience? How did you discover, how did you awaken to the fact that you're on this journey, Bill? Yeah. Well, the the death experience, it, it felt like death. Um, there's, you know, no easy way to um, sort of um, sugarcoat it. It was just, it was awful. And mm-hmm. um, I, I was <clears throat> probably, and some similarity to your story, Nate, I was a, ordained minister and had gone through a seminary and had been um, out in youth ministry and associate pastor in church planning. And um, I'd been married four years, and I found myself in a place where I had um, two events happen that basically spiraled me down into an abyss. I uh, had a church plant that 
failed, and mm. I needed to resign from it for uh, a number of different reasons. And and then at, uh, four days after that, uh, or three days after that, I had a daughter born with some number of physical issues. In fact, we didn't know if she was going to live or die in the first four days uh, after she was born. And both of those were just triggers that just, you know, sent me kind of spiraling down in a place where I could hardly get out of bed anymore. And I realized that I was, um, I didn't know where I was. I was angry, confused, upset, um, without very, very little sense of how in the world I got myself in the mess, much less how to get out of it. And, you know, coming to terms with the fact that I would really been depressed for 20 years and it submerged so many issues in my life and it just sort of pasted them over with a lot of um, good behavior, a lot of theological concepts, and a lot of, um, you know, on the outside people thought I was a great person and was doing well, and inside I was just, I was just falling apart. So... 20 years ago, I sort of realized, and this is where the book starts, I, I'm, for me, I, I'm either going to just, you know, end up, you know, my marriage is going to fall apart, I'm going to end up in a really, really terrible place, I was suicidal briefly, or I'm going to find a way out, and Lord, I have to do something really, really different. And that's where sort of the, the story of the book begins. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I suppose it was there shortly thereafter as the fog began to lift um, that you realized that you had a life full of idols that you hadn't you hadn't recognized before were idols. Can you talk to us a little bit about this common human experience of idolatry? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's 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 universal. Uh, we all, you know, the idea of trusting God is just dangerous. It's just a huge risk to trust uh, our innermost heart as well as the pain of living in a fallen world when we've got all sorts of things around us that, that can immediately take care of the pain and seem to provide some kind of control and management. So it's sort of like, you know, when you're coming out of operation and the nurse offers you morphine, why not? You know? Mm-hmm. So our idols are not, I mean, sometimes they're consciously chosen, but in my own life, many of them were almost subconscious, just sort of almost a, a, a grasping at anything, and it just seemed to work. And most of my idols were not, you know, what I call, um, you know, I was never a drug addict, and I was never um, strung out on alcohol. And I, I didn't really have a lot of what I call non-respectable idols. I had more respectable ones. <laughs> but I certainly, you know, I certainly struggle with, you know, pornography as many young men do for <clears throat> in my teens and 20s. But I didn't have a lot of, you know, sort of the when people think about addictions and and idols, which are really in some sense the same category, mine were were much more respectable, and so in some sense I got away with them longer. But mm-hmm. in another sense, it made it even worse because I could hide them longer. So you know, I was really um, one of the things I was really stuck on was was being orderly. And it seems like what's the big deal about that? Well, it's one of the ways I just disconnected from people. And it's like my whole life was one of keeping things absolutely ordered and managed and categorized. And mm-hmm. I also um, had my life was tremendously disciplined, and I was actually applauded for that. But my my disciplined behavior was just a way to keep me 
from having to deal with the inner messiness in my life. It was a way to keep me disconnected from my own emotions. You know, wow. um, I got. I was also, you know, uh, really. I, I don't. Have, I didn't have an eating disorder, but I certainly had disordered eating, and nobody knew it because you know I never had a weight issue. But I would exercise tremendous amounts, and then you sort of binge on food, mm-hmm. and this sort of cycle was kind of how I kept myself some sense of being um, alive. Yeah. And internally, I felt so disconnected from people. So those were a few of my, you know, main idols. Yeah. I had, you know, I had many others down the road, but those are just some that kind of really kept me sort of going. How, how, how did you come to the place where, I mean, this is part of the death process that you're talking about, where uh, the the internal need to find out what is keeping you in that state, I guess, pushes you towards this kind of introspection. How did you, how did you discover those? Yeah. Oh, it's another good question. Part of it was, again, um, I didn't set out to discover them. It just kind of happened um, for me. And I, when I was 18 years old, nobody told me to do this. I went to college. Uh, I was at Duke university and I just, again, I'm, I'm, very, I have a busy inner man. That's what that's what Heidi, my wife, says. I just, I have, I have, my thought life is extremely uh, busy, and I was very confused about any number of things my freshman year in college, and I just started journaling, just to sort of handle it. I just found out that this is a way I could just get it down on paper and straighten things out. And I, I've journaled pretty regularly uh, since then for the past, you know, um, almost fifty. 40 years and um, the journaling process for me was one of the ways in which I began to discover um, what these idols were as well as I had to go outward I had to bring in um, some trusted brothers who would just say you know here's what I'm struggling with give me some feedback Mm -hmm. and um, so I had to go outward too it just wasn't an inward journey but I found both of those extremely helpful um, in terms of of sorting these things out. Yeah. So one of the I'm, other things... Picturing, before you move on, Nate, okay. uh, I think this is uh, especially for some of our friends that listen, uh, I think the idea of respectable versus <laughs> unrespectable uh, uh, yeah. ill repute is uh, an important concept because how many times do we deal with the most, uh, the, the worst idol Yes, and especially if we get vic- some some victory over that, that we can either develop whole new new patterns which are respectable, mm-hmm. but just equally as damaging to our souls, or we just don't address them because we're so focused on it. So I I just think there's there's a piece in there that. Uh, I, this comes up when we talk to women a lot, when they're very yeah. frustrated at their husbands because of these obvious problems in their life, and yet their lives are filled with worry and fear and anxiety and controlling parts of their lives to try to allay right. those fears, which are all more respectable because they're responsible. They're being responsible. Right, right. Uh, you know, so that's, that's really well said. I, I think you, underneath the... Underneath the I know underneath the sexual idols mm-hmm. are all you need to peel those back, and there's all these other idols which you can't even uh, address or get to until you've, you know, sort of 
at least uh, come to terms with those. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. So what, what would we invite our listeners to do to start that journey? I'm sorry, say that again? So what, what could we invite listeners to do to kind of start that journey? You mentioned journaling, and Nate, you've talked about journaling and how bad slash good then good bad you were at it. Yeah. Um, that's that's certainly one practical way. Um, sure, sure. Uh, you know, for me, I, a couple of things come off to mind. What one is just, um, I'm sure it's 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 one of the things that that y'all uh, hammer on so much is you've got to find you've got to on um, one or two other people that you let into your life. You know, really honestly, you let them into your life and heart completely and. That, that's always part of the journey. You're just never going to get there alone. Never, 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 not even close. And then the other part of it for me is I, I found myself telling this to men of all ages, just ask God for the next step. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a shepherd. He's a father. I mean, what father isn't going to coach their son? So, you know, what good father isn't going to coach their son? So, you know, the, the question is, why don't, why don't you ask him what the next step in the journey is? And I, I, I've had – Uncant just story after story of how God has led me along mm. in some incredible ways. So yeah. those are just really practical things besides yeah. journaling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, <clears throat> I want to stay on the descent side of the journey here for a little bit uh, and get you to talk some about uh, facing our wounds, the reality that uh, nobody survives uh, adolescence intact. All of us come into adulthood carrying wounds, uh, acknowledged or unacknowledged. Uh, how did that look in your own life? And uh, as you, uh, what tact do you take when you help others, whether you're working with individuals or whether you're working with groups? I know that you do workshops for small groups. Um, how do you uh, encourage people to find and face and uh, find healing for their wounds. Yeah, um, but you can't you can't you know force anybody. But I tell you the the one sort of um, um, counterintuitive maneuver, and, and again, y'all, um, the Samson Society does such a good job with this. Is is I just tell some of my story. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's to me remarkable how just the process of telling parts of your story awakens people to their own wounds, awakens yeah. people to their own places where they haven't gone or at least want to go now. Yeah. And uh, that's one of the things I, I started doing. I began to teach the class. I realized I, I've, I've got to tell, I have to tell some of the stories that go with it. Otherwise, you know, I am, um, I'm not pointing the way out in which this goes um, mm. because the descent is, into not only how we sin with our idols, but how we've been sinned against with our wounds. And they're both part of the fabric of the world as we know it now. And they both have to be faced. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the principle of incarnation, uh, which I'm sad to say that when I was uh, in seminary and majoring in preaching was not often stressed. In fact, I got the impression that I better just leave myself out of the message. Yes, absolutely. Right? And somehow, Absolutely. And that's, yeah, that's a message I kind of got too. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, Paul the Apostle seems to have ignored that uh, advice. Uh, 
uh, in the way that he communicated with those for whom he'd been given spiritual responsibility. You know, uh, what we know about Peter, we know because uh, Peter was a blabbermouth. I mean, he talked yes. uh, about his own failure. We know that he um, betrayed Christ and denied knowing him. I didn't betray him, but denied knowing him to a little slave girl, not because the slave girl talked, but because Peter did. Uh, and the fact that he was willing to show that weakness and failure opened the door for generations and generations of other Christ followers to admit that we deny him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. So yeah. but, uh, let's talk about let's talk about the turning point and discovering uh, our identity. Um uh, is that the fundamental question that we're all asking? Who am I? Yeah, you know, I, I keep, I just keep going back to that, and it's not only the identity question is 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 tied in with our experience, our sense of who we are as a man or a woman. And I found that, you know, men's sexual issues and women's sexual issues, and certainly mine, once I peeled all of those away and the idols underneath all of that, I realized. What I'm really asking, what I really want so desperately to know is who I am as a man, and what, what a woman, who I am as a woman, and it's just so core. So the, for the identity question is, is I found that to be, you know, pretty much the substructure and the analogy of our souls, and the analogy I like to use is, is contact lenses. Because uh, contacts, I wear contact lenses and worn it for years, and I spend 99.9% of my waking uh, hours looking through them and, you know, less than 0.1% of the time looking at them. Uh, I, everything is filtered through them and hopefully in a corrective and good way. Uh, and our identity functions like that. We don't ever think about our identity, we, but we spend our whole lives looking through the lenses of who we think we are at the rest of the world. Mm. And the question is, who do we think we really are? And, of course, the reason why thinking about our identity seems so weird, it's sort of like you spent your whole life looking through it. What's it like to actually take it out and look at it? And, you know, the only time I think about my contact lenses is when I take them out at night or when, I'm, when I've got something in my eye and it's a lot of pain. And I think mm. pain, real pain is one of those oh, sort of wonderful, um, you know, as Augustine called it, God's severe mercy. It's a chance for us to really take out our contact lenses and go, I think something's wrong with the way I see myself. Mm. What, and, and what's the truth? You know, what is the truth of who I really am in God's eyes? How does yeah. he really see me, not generically, but but truthfully, according to the scriptures, and then personally and individually, how does he feel about me? Yeah. And that is absolutely revolutionary. It cha- there's nothing it doesn't change once you begin to, you know, uh, grasp that and sort of let it drench you. Mm. And uh, I don't know about you, Bill, but I need uh, other fellows to carry that with me uh, and to remind me of my identity at those moments when I forget who I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all forget. We all, you know, you know, we can tend to wander back so easily. And it's one of those things that, you know, I'm having to remind myself every morning when I get up, and I do, I need others to remind me and to encourage me. And sometimes it isn't just wandering. Uh, Sometimes it's actually active opposition. We find as we're we're on our way now, 
into ascent, that we've made the pivot, we've accepted uh, our death in Christ, have come to the end of ourselves, found our new identity in Christ, uh, things can get act, uh, active from there, can't they? They can. They get really active. Things, a lot of wheels, or I like to say wheels, things started turning in, inside of me that I never even knew were there. Yeah. Um, you do, there's, there's an aliveness. I mean, resurrection is about life. It's about coming alive. And, yeah. you know, these landmarks are all about what does that really look like and feel like. Mm. That's, that's a really interesting. I love that the identity is that turning point because we can uncover all of that hard stuff, all the hard stories, all those landmarks of brokenness, and in the end come to a non-gospel conclusion. Absolutely. That will, that will only turn to a different descent into religiosity and Phariseeism. Yeah, that's exactly right. That that is really well said. You know, there's nothing to replace it. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing to give it give it new life. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, take us take us further up the ascent. We've only got a few minutes left, but I sure. I, I, I want to end on a on a hopeful tone. So tell us where we're going. Yeah. You know, I think um, one of the one of just I'll, I'll speak briefly about um, landmark six, seven, and eight, and then I want to camp out on nine, maybe just a bit. But landmark six, seven, and eight just speak about you know awakening to the battle, and the battle is the sixth landmark, and you know the the uh, the, the sense of the demonic in our lives and how that mm-hmm. operates, and really learning to stand. Uh, and then the landmark seven talks about bonding really bonding to Jesus uh, and uh, to the Father through him um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's really Paul's idea of being in Christ. And what does that feel like? And how does that change the way we sort of, you know, um, in our core being of how we sort of operate in life? And then Landmark 8 is sort of the moving into um, marriage, looking at marriage very, very differently now, that I'm coming alive in Christ, and that's just the mate uh, Mm -hmm. landmark. For me, uh, all of those are things that I've sort of moved through and, of course, are still moving through and progressing. But uh, the ninth landmark is, for me, uh, it's sort of where I end the journey in terms of landmarks. But for me, it's, it's called Quest. And it's the place where I have felt myself coming alive practically and um, emotionally, probably more so than any of the others. It's been the thing that sort of thrust me uh, outward uh, and forward and changed so many different things just practically. Um, And the quest is just simply the idea that as we come alive in Christ, we have something we're supposed to do with this life. Mm. We have something unique to offer and that we need to find out what that is and do it. And that so much depends on us doing that around us. It's it's that important. It's that significant. And that basically every story in the Bible is about God calling out fallen men and women and um, giving them a quest. And some of the quests are really crazy stuff. Uh, and it, when you see life as a quest, as an adventure, as something that's unknown, I'm really going to have to walk with God on this one. It, it really changes the fabric of not only how you feel, but then it starts to change many practical things in your life. And of course, my life has radically changed just in the last one or two years. 
Mm. So that's part of that resurrection and coming alive. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid we've come to the end of our time. I got. I want to thank you, Bill, for taking taking the time to join us here oh, on Pi- Pirate Mark Radio. Uh, love what you're doing. Just rejoice in what God's doing in your life. I want to recommend your book uh, to all our listeners. Once again, the title is Landmarks, Turning Points on Your Journey Towards God. The author, Bill DeVoe. Uh, you spell DeVoe, D-E-L-V-A-U-X. Uh, we will, uh, we're working on getting uh, links to all uh, our recommended books on the uh, samsonsociety.net or samsonsociety.com uh, podcast or, uh, website. So join us there. And by the way, friend the Pirate Monk Radio Show on samsonsociety.com. If you go there and uh, like the Pirate Monk Radio Show Facebook page, if you would be so kind. Uh, and go ahead and follow us on Twitter at, at Pirate Monk Radio. Uh, you can get news about the guests, uh, topics from the original Franklin meeting, and, of course, all the antics from the meeting after the meeting at McCurry's Irish Pub here in Franklin, Tennessee. Join us next week. We've got lots of great things coming up uh, in the episodes ahead. Can't wait to tell you about them. Uh, next week, uh, topic will be forgiveness. We've got a great guest lined up. Well, for uh, the Pirate Monk Radio Show, I am your host, Nate Larkin, uh, saying goodbye to our co-host from the left coast, Aaron. Thank you, brother. Uh, All right. Uh, I just saw a question come in, and then it, it left, and I was sad. But uh, oh, All right. uh, Our fearless, peerless engineer, call us again next time. Uh, we'll have to get those calls in earlier. I wasn't watching the board, brother. I didn't see the call come in. Our executive producer, none other than Jay Spiegel. Until next week, it's goodbye for the Pirate Monk Radio Show. <laughs>